Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down and talking with Greater Western Sydney Giants athletic performance coach Lachlan Wilmot. And guys, Lachlan's got a ton of awesome stuff out there on Instagram and Facebook when it comes to exercises that he selects for his athletes. And we take it a step further and we start talking about how he programs them, what his progressions are, and then how the nuances or the uniqueness of Aussie Rules football plays into all that because it's such an aerobically based sport where guys are really running into each other hard. So there's some really interesting points that he brings up. And he really is very open with breaking down the exact progressions of how they they bring these young men in and and build them through their careers. It's really an awesome talk. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. All right. Lachlan, thanks for being on with us today. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, man. So, listen, we, we got you up nice and early down there. So, I think the first thing we need to do is I think that people, since a lot of Americans listen, I think they have to understand <laughs> what footy is before we can get going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I think uh, I've mentioned a few times before with Australian football, but it's um, it's definitely something that uh, I'm a little bit biased in the fact that uh, I believe it's probably the – the the number one most athletic sport in the world. Uh, I think the combination of of needing the endurance and aerobic capacity side mixed with actually needing speed and power and strength is something that's very rare uh, in a lot of sports. Uh, so so our boys, you know, realistically they can they'll play for about two hours. Uh, they'll run upwards of anywhere between sixteen to eighteen kilometers, uh, which can be you know close to ten, bit over ten miles. Uh, <clears throat> these guys will get hit continuously. They wear no padding, uh, but they also have to have speed and power as well. So they need to be able to accelerate, explode off the mark, and also have ball skills. So kicking, hand passing, catching, all the all the different uh, intricacies that uh, that require hand-eye coordination. Um, so it, it's something that's very unique in the fact that uh, we don't have too many boys that are extremely specialist roles where they can get away with just being big or they can get away with just being fit. Uh, most of our boys will need to cover a certain amount of distance and they'll also need to get hit. So um, it does mean that that our boys have to keep lean enough to be able to be efficient, uh, which I think is a challenge in itself, but also need to be strong enough to be able to take the hits. So um, for those of people that haven't seen Australian football before, it, uh, it can be quite chaotic when they see it on television. Um, so it's probably the best viewed when um, you're live and get to actually see the whole field, which is played on a cricket field that's, you know, for, for Americans that don't really follow cricket too much, it's a fairly large oval, um, usually anywhere between 160 to 180 metres in length. Um, so that's, you know, a bit probably 
1.5, 1.6 times the size of a an NFL field. Um, so it's it's a very complex sport, but I think from an athletic standpoint, it's the most exciting because it's the most challenging. It means that oh, I can't just get them big. I can't just get them strong. I need to make sure that it balances with our conditioning side of things, our speed side of things. So at the end of the day, it's, it's a game of efficiency, and the boys need to be as efficient as possible when it comes to strength, power, and endurance. Yeah, we had Mike Reagan over two years ago. And the yes. thing that blew my mind the most about it is just how massive the pitch is. Yeah, it's a, it's a very large – look, it's, um, we have 18 on the field and we have four on the bench that can continuously rotate. So it's uh, the best analogy I can give is a, a little more similar to ice hockey where the, the bench is very active. They come on and off very quickly. Um, they've started to reduce the number of rotations we can do, which starts to challenge the boys a little bit more. So we are capped with the number of rotations, but nonetheless, it is a very active bench. Boys are running on and off continuously to try and find that you know two to three minute rest and then go again. Yeah, and what I think is really awesome is how there are no specialists. Like, everybody yes, yeah. is going everywhere. So I think with that in mind, what would be cool, because, I mean, anybody with an iPhone and Instagram can see what you're doing with the guys. Yes, Because yeah. you put up a ton of awesome stuff. But let's talk about how you build it, because I think that what would be neat to most people is these guys are hitting each other like, a defensive back is hitting a wide receiver coming across the middle over and over again, but they're running 10 miles all at the same time. So there's so many intricacies to it. I think that would be a fascinating topic for people over here. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's, um, I think the, the, I'll start with the summary and then we can go in depth, but I think from a, from a very simple point of view, um, we definitely endeavor, in particular the Giants, that uh, we, we don't want to take away what these players have been drafted to do. So at the end of the day, um, the AFL is exactly the same as the NFL Sorry, when it comes to drafting and the way you know our, our draft combine is set up. It's very similar, based off a lot of the similar um, uh, setups that you guys have. So we look at saying, okay, well, why did this player get drafted? Now, a lot of times draft, draftees will come through with speed or they'll come through with aerobic power. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we don't draw away from that. And one of the biggest things that I see, especially with youth players, is everyone wants them to get bigger, which is great. And I think it's, you definitely need some muscle because, like you said, these boys are getting hit a lot throughout the, throughout the, um, the game. But at the end of the day, we need to keep that efficiency in mind. So if we get a, an 18-year-old boy that comes to us that's just been drafted, and realistically, he might need to put on eight kilos. But he, his strength or his, you know, his sharpened sword is his running ability. That is definitely something that we cannot afford to lose. Because at the end of the day, that's why we drafted him. That's how he's going to contribute to our team. So we need to really be careful of what we decide to get him at and how quickly we actually progress him from a size point of view. So one of the biggest focuses we have is actually trying to make sure that these boys don't get too big too quickly or we don't throw too much load at them too quickly. So their first three years, like we, we 
use the term, you know, three years to build an AFL body. So a lot of it is steady progression, slowly introducing them to running speeds, slowly introducing them to total loads that they'll find on the field, slowly introducing them to actual strength and conditioning that's going to bulk them up and put some size and strength on them. So one of the biggest things we have is actually making sure we don't get them too big too quickly because at the end of the day, anyone can throw muscle on someone. In fact, I think that's probably the easiest part of it, especially if they haven't been exposed to strength training. But for our boys, it's how can we get a little bit of muscle whilst maintaining that speed and power? How can we get a little bit of muscle whilst maintaining that endurance or that aerobic capacity? Because throwing four kilos on them immediately, at the end of the day, I don't care what you say, it's going to affect the way they run. So you've got to make sure that they can start to adapt to that. And that's something that we look at trying to do through a diet, making sure that we can control their nutrition side of things, having high days, low days when it comes to carbohydrate and protein intake, but then also looking at their exposure in the weight room and trying to understand them as a person because we'll sometimes draft and you know every sport's the same. We'll sometimes draft players that respond quite highly and they put on muscle very quickly and other boys that are very hard, hard gainers and take a long time to put on muscle. And we need to make sure that we can balance that out and see which is going to be the most beneficial for them from a, a programming standpoint. So that comes back to us trying to individualize a whole team without being so specific that everyone's doing a different exercise, but being specific enough that their loading parameters week to week isn't going to look like the next person or the one person next to them or the person they got drafted with. Because at the end of the day, they're going to be very different. So from our standpoint, I think the biggest thing is making sure that our boys can build that strength and that resilience and at the end of the day, we use the term damage resistance a lot with our boys, trying to find exercises and programming that's going to reduce the chance of injury so we can expose them to load. Because that first one to three years is just such a red flag position for our injuries because it's them adapting at 18 to 21. Like, you know, you're working in college with, with boys at that age, you just get boys that get really niggly things that just want to take on more and more load. They want to do everything. They want to train hard. And at the end of the day, their body just starts to break down. They start to do too much. So for us, it's trying to manage appropriate load to progress them, but then making sure that that load is not going to overstimulate them and start to cause issues. Yes. Now we just ran through a ton really quick. <laughs> Let's take a step back. Yeah, definitely. Let's start with, okay, it's draft day. And you mm -hmm. just picked Lachlan and Jay. Yep. What are you guys doing now to start evaluating and determining what direction you're going? Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll bring the boys in at, at about 18 years of age. Um, the youngest that can be drafted is 17 and nine months. So first and foremost, I think we don't actually do a hell of a lot of performance testing with these young boys simply because um, they haven't been exposed, especially in Australia. Our high school system is not like America where they may have had up to five years of strength training already. A lot of them, considering it's a very running orientated sport, have not done a lot of strength training. So from a strength and power perspective, We'll bring them in. We'll assess a lot of their movement through some movement screening. We'll look at their work with our physios and look at some general joint issues. Um, we'll look at groin strength. We'll look at simple predictors like that um, and try and establish a little bit of a movement base and understand what they're going to be like and what their needs are going to be based off their, their injury history. And then they'll start to flow into our first year strength and power program. 
which is traditionally based around work capacity and building that work capacity within the gym because at the same time, they're starting to build that work capacity on field, learning how to be able to tolerate both an on-field session and a gym session in the same day because at the end of the day, they actually haven't done anything like that. They will have done maybe one or two training sessions in a day before. They've never done two to four training sessions in a day. So this is something they've got to build up to. And when it comes to percentage of training, we'll usually limit the amount of uh, training they do compared to the main squad. So that can be anywhere between 50 to 70% depending on the program. Um, but it's something that, that we really endeavor to be individual with, not just putting a blanket percentage you know, ban on them, but just making sure we can manage them. And that, a lot of that's done through our well-being, our daily assessments, our physio screening, just to see how they're holding up. But their first year is really based around building that work capacity. And when it comes to sort of power production work, we're big believers in force absorption first, then power production. So we'll make sure that we're teaching landing mechanics, good body position, mechanical running positions and stuff like that, rather than getting them to run exceptionally fast, getting them to do a lot of explosive work. So I think that first year, that first couple of months, is adapting to load, but also teaching them to absorb forces and getting good positions and get some work capacity under their belt. No, that's awesome. And then when they move forward, are there any benchmarks or numbers that they have to hit prior to moving to the next phase or level, whichever we want to refer to it as? Yeah, look, we definitely have a, a progressive phase program that looks at um, trying to establish uh, benchmarks for each of the players. And, and that's a combination of, you know, we have specific movement capacities. We then look at um, a lot of power measures as well. So just looking at simple like, eccentric utilization ratios and things like that to see how the boys are handling things. Uh, we also look at general strength to, to weight ratios. So making sure that, you know, what they're moving from a, a weight perspective in relative to their size, but also their position is of accordance to what we need. Uh, but a, a lot of it is looking at the way they move. So we, uh, we have very gradual progressions of exercises. We try and use, especially our first or second years, we try not to be overly creative with what they do. We try and keep it simple. We want them to learn basic movement patterns because, like I said, unlike the American high school system, our boys just haven't been exposed to it. So what we tend to get is probably – if we draft six players, we might get four, maybe five that haven't done really anything at all and are very raw. And then you might get that one standout that has actually been training for four years. So he's definitely going to accelerate substantially quicker than his other first-year counterparts. And we definitely push for that. We don't want to just hold him back because he's termed a first-year. But we need to, like you said, we need to have graded reasoning for moving him forward. And that'll be from a movement perspective, strength perspective, but then a lot of power measures as well. No, and that's fantastic. And now you're looking at that at the same time, building the aerobic capacity in an athlete who's going to need to cover 10 miles. 100%, yeah. So what, what we tend to find is that first preseason that they get exposed to is they're just deers in headlights. They, they come to the – they'll get to the club at, you know, 6.30, 7 a.m. in the morning. They'll leave at about, you know, 4.30, 5 p.m. And they'll go home. And because they – when they get tra uh, when they get drafted to us, we usually set them up all in the same area. So they're living together. So there might be two or three first years in the same house. Um, they'll get home 6 p.m. and they'll collapse and they'll fall asleep. So one of the biggest things we have is trying to make sure that they get dinner because by the time they get home, they're so exhausted that they just pass out and they'll sleep from 6 p.m. all the way through to 6 a.m. the next day, hop up and come into training. So 
it's uh, it, it is a lot to do with trying to teach them to handle the training loads because at the end of the day, it is it is a big training load that they've got to get to. So their first preseason is just realistically deer in a headlight and we're not looking for them to play senior football as such in the first year. Now, some some standouts will, uh, but unlike uh, you know the NFL where a, a, f- a first-round draft pick can come in and make a big difference, often with these boys because – they don't go through the college system and then go into the NFL. With us, they come straight out of high school and come into professional football. It does take them a couple more years to make an impact in our team. So we really use that first year as a 12-month preseason because they, you know, they are they are slow to build and slow to get ready. But that second year, that second preseason, that's where they tend to make their biggest gains. That's where they actually adapted. They understand what is expected of them, and they roll into that preseason. And from the aerobic perspective, that's where they make some really good gains. Because like everyone that listens to this podcast will know, you can throw someone who's never lifted before, put them in a gym. I don't care what you do. They're going to improve. At the end of the day, they'll improve in something. So you don't need to be a great strength coach for that. I think you need to be a good strength coach to make sure they're improving correctly and in the right fashion. But from an aerobic perspective, that's where you just need miles in the legs. And our boys just need to tolerate running. And that is that slow build over that two to three year period. So let's talk about that build period then. Let's talk about how you can take a kid at 17 and a half, 18 years old, and build that individual to a 21-year-old superstar in the AFL. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, <clears throat> uh, it's, a fa- it's a fairly open question. Um, it, I, I think it's, like alluded to before, it's that fine balance. And a lot of time, it's knowing your athlete and knowing their strength. It's knowing that, that this athlete's strength is aerobic capacity. So, for example, we have one of our players who's um, an absolute – outright superstar in the AFL when it comes to his running ability. Uh, And probably the past two years, he's just started to find his feet with understanding the game better and knowing where to be. Because with our game, what you tend to find is players can be very football smart and not as athletic, but they know where the ball is going to be. They know how to get there. They're a little bit more switched on than others. And other players can be very athletic and they might run twice as many kilometers, but they may not touch the ball nearly as much. So what we found with this guy, he's now one of our more senior boys. He's pushing into his 25 or 25 years of age. So he's been in the system sort of seven years. Uh, and understanding now with his running capacity, finding the ball is a whole different scenario now. So he's starting to skyrocket when it comes to the number of times he touches the ball and the number of times he influences the game. But for him, he found it really hard to try and balance this, this unique running ability, but also putting on some size and strength. Because when he came, he was, he was an absolute whippet, tiny, but could run all day. But as soon as he got hit, suddenly you'd lose a lot of that exhaust. If you've ever run just a straight three-kilometer time trial or any type of aerobic test where you're not getting touched, very different to you than trying to Im- implement that into a, a situation where you know every 100 meters you're getting hit or you're getting bumped or you're getting tackled, takes it out of you a lot. So. A couple of times when he was going through his pre-seasons, he would stuff it up. He would do either too much running and not enough strength work and would drop his strength and size. Then the following year, he'd put a focus into this strength and size point of view and his running capacity would then drop. 
So it's that fine balance of going through. Now, that was early days of our club, and he was at a club before us as well. So he was definitely trying to find his feet. And, and in the mm-hmm. off-season when no one's around, his you know, coaches have told him he needs to get bigger. So what is he doing in the off-season? He just does weight training. And he comes back, and he's a couple of kilos heavier, which is great, but he's lost that running capacity. So the key to the development of our boys over their first three years is that balance of strength and power matched with their aerobic conditioning to find that efficiency. And again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, efficiency is the key word. And that's, in my opinion, that's what our whole department's about because you know, my specialty in our department is our strength and power program. We have Andrew Barnett who runs our conditioning and GPS side of things. And together we try and balance that. And, you know, I want them to do more weights. He wants them to do more running. But we both understand each other's area and we both understand that our players need both. And, at the end of the day, the aerobic capacity is the key to our game. So strength and power will always come a second because our boys can get away with not being quite strong enough. They can hide that, but they can't get away with not being able to outrun their opposition because the tactical requirements that our coaches want from them is a running-based requirement. And often they still need to bump and push and throw people around. So my area of strength and power needs to be covered but at the end of the day, I need to make sure that it is matched with our aerobic capacity work. And I think that's the hardest thing about AFL. It's it's finding that balance of strength, power, explosiveness, speed, these these animalistic things you want from players, but making sure that they can run all day with it because it's it's two two hours worth of running. Mm-hmm. Um, so they need to they need to make sure that they've got it there. So I think from a from a development perspective, it is finding that work capacity both from a strength and power point of view and an on field point of view in that first year that second year we start to look a little bit more along that general strength and that power production but then on field they're starting to look at that more repeat speed work so they've gone from the aerobic larger volume work into more that repeat speed work and getting good at repeat efforts and then in that third year from my perspective we're pushing that max strength that real explosive power side of things and on field they're starting to fine tune both their speed work but also that real intense repeat speed speed because their their ability to, to maintain speed is another thing that we look at because we have a, a large measure on sprint meters. So the amount of meters they cover at velocity. So that's something that's one of our key measures. So we make sure that, that that third year, that what we term sharpening the sword, that's what we're looking at. It's trying to give them more sprint meters in both the game. And then to do that, we need to do it in training. So we'll find those third years and those boys that are starting to develop into the senior team, their efficiency on field when it comes to covering ground at high velocity, that's one of our key measures. So then let's talk then and tie this back with with your Instagram account. Yes. Well, we're looking at exercise selection, which people can see a lot of it, you know, out there Mm -hmm. for free. When -hmm. we're talking exercise progression and selection as you go through this, Walk me through some things that you see are more productive in each of those areas. Okay. Um, I think first and foremost, uh, the basics are still the best. Um, we still we, we squat, we deadlift, we bench, we row. Um, things with those key movement patterns, and I base all of my, my programming off your, your simple movement pas- pa- patterns that you're pushing, you're pulling, you're squatting, you're, you're hinging, and those type of movements. But – what I endeavor to do with our boys is try and translate into a little bit more movement challenges. 
Um, so trying to challenge them from a, a total movement capacity, e.g., you know, if we're doing a row, can I put them into a position once they're strong where they need to have some sort of anti-rotation component of it? So I definitely uh, endeavour to, A, get the compound and the basic movements right, and I want our boys to be really strong with that, and that's something that's a thread that will remain within their program all season, all preseason. They will have a key lift that is a max strength lift because our boys being running athletes, as soon as you take something out of their program, they tend to forget or they lose that capacity. So if I was to dial back our max strength for, say, a four- to six-week block, they tend to lose that pretty quickly. So when you're looking at my programming, you'll see some sort of max strength movement in there all the time just to make sure we can keep that intensity there. From that, we also look at doing a lot more progression of our plyometric work. So we do a lot of plyometric work with our boys uh, simply because we feel that is a great for their force output, force production, rate of force development. But secondly, we think it's very good for their injury reduction work because they do so much stuff that's in freeform boots. They do jumping. They're on you know loose surfaces. They have two, three, four players hitting them at the same time and they're getting moved around. So we really try and progress their unilateral, their their lateral work in their plyos and try and challenge them with different, you know, whether it be a, a simple stimulus of yelling out left or right or calling out different things or having different movement capacities they need to do while jumping. We found that to be really, really beneficial. And then another part that we really focus on is our, our hamstring work. So um, anyone that follows me on Instagram knows that I'm a big fan of, of hamstring work and and from a damage resistance point of view and some people get caught up thinking that that's that's the leg weights but in actual fact that's most of the time our add-on to our leg weights uh, and our boys definitely chase a lot of hamstring work which is a you know a massive credit to them that they get the buy-in with it and they can see the reduction in hamstring injuries from doing it and um you know with the introduction of the nord board we can start to quantify a few things like that which has been really good for us but uh, our boys definitely do that from pre-season to in-season and that's something that we introduce especially our one to three year players too getting them used to getting domsy and getting that that exposure to that damage so they can start to understand that you know the harder they push the more resilient they're going to be and some of some of the education that we give our boys is very much around that is that that first one to three years is there's going to be times where you're going to be sore and the last thing you should be doing is pulling back because of that because if it is doms it's something that we want to try and impact and break through and adapt to but we are, you know, we've inherited boys from other clubs that there's some clubs that don't do as much strength training as we may do. And we find that, you know, they're, as soon as they get sore, probably a little bit like soccer players sometimes that, that when they get sore, they go, oh, well, I don't want to do that. So they dial it back. But it's if you're always dialing it back and you're never adapting, you're always going to be getting sore. So we've, we've had a big education with our boys trying to push them to make sure that we can get them into that domsy area and break through that so they don't get sore when they do it next. And, and the response and the results we've had have been fantastic with all of our boys. And you've got to be smart when you do that. You can't be doing that in season because at the end of the day, the, the game's the most important thing. We need to make sure our boys are fresh, ready to go. But in the preseason time, we, we need to educate and say, you know, you are going to be sore from this or you're, you're going to find two days' time you're going to be sore from this. And they start to buy into it and they understand why they're sore. 
but from a perspective of progression and everything like that, it's probably mostly to do with our advancement in the way our boys have their rate of force development um, and their their power production. That's probably our biggest key factor that we look at progressing. We we try and you know increase um, the amount of force they can produce, but also decrease that contact time. And I think probably the best uh, analogy of we 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 treat our athletes very much like track and field players. Um, so so athletes that are sort of probably four to eight hundred meter runners. Um, you'll find that our training's perhaps fairly similar to uh, to a 400 to 800 meter runner, with the addition of your just generic strength programming you might see in a football program because that they need that they need that body armor. 400 800 meter runners don't really need that body armor. They can get away with a little bit more stiffness and a little bit more um, you know real true pure explosive work. Whereas our boys sometimes have to sacrifice a little bit of that that joint stiffness and that nice pure explosive work so they can get a little bit more muscle bulk. Unfortunately. Yeah, it, as fun as it would be to watch full contact track and field, I don't think that it would quite measure up to what you exactly guys have right. there. Exactly, and, and and it's 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 you know what I've just alluded to before. It's that that's the funnest thing about it is you. I can, you know, I can blatantly steal things from everyone under the sun because I feel like there's so much that applies to our players um, because they they've got to, you know, undertake so many areas of the game that that track and field stuff, you know, that applies to us but also traditional football training applies to us. Also bodybuilding work can apply to us because there's sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't program hypertrophy as a block. Um, I program hypertrophy as an add-on to a specific player's program if they need more volume, but I'll never take the whole group through a hypertrophy block simply because I don't think our, our team needs hypertrophy blocks. But when it comes to trying to put on some size for some of our players, you can blatantly steal it from some bodybuilding techs and stuff like that because, you know, it, it works. So yeah, it's, it's, it's why I love it so much, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So – Let's finish with the in-season now, talking in that yeah. realm, because I think that a lot of people struggle in that area, and they don't have to deal with people who get hit running 10 miles, yes. which yep. I could see causing an extreme damper to what you would want to do in the weight room. Very much so, yeah. <clears throat> so when it comes to in-season, we've, um, we've started to develop over the past few years uh, the idea that our players do not get hit or their loading is not equal amongst the whole team. So we can have 22 players play a game on a Saturday. On the Monday, we all know they're not all going to pull up in the same fashion. Even though they played the same game, they you know lost by the same amount or won by the same amount, at the end of the day, some players recover better than others. So so we we want to try and make sure that we make our program individual enough to account for players that are feeling fresher or players that are, are not as fresh. Uh, so from a strength and power point of view, I base most of my training off uh, percentage-based prescriptions, but I really make sure that I don't dictate to a player exactly what they should be lifting on that day or that week. So what we've started to develop is these these thresholds that we use where it is actually a, a range that the players will select from. So we'll use a performance zone, we'll use a maintenance zone, and we'll use a red zone. 
So if the boys are feeling good and fresh in that block, they'll train within their performance zone that we've allocated for them, which is a, a range of load for that specific lift. Um, when it comes to a maintenance zone, if the boys are a little bit sore, that player may select a maintenance zone when it comes to their strength development for that lift. And then others may, if they are really sore, really beaten up, they'll take that red zone. So then what we can do is each week we can have these flag up and show which boys have gone into green or into their performance zones, into their maintenance zones, into their red zones. So we can start to have that conversation about, you know, you've been two weeks in the maintenance zone now. We need to find a little bit more because the education that we give to them is, you know, if you're not sprinting, in season, when it comes to your training, you're at the end of the day, you're not going to be going anywhere because you need to sprint to stand still because the gains that you got in pre-season are not going to come in season because you are so fatigued and you get so hit that we need to work just to maintain what you have. And that comes from velocity on field, but that also comes from max strength in the gym. So we have a big focus on, A, making sure that they hit sprint targets and sprint meters in training in season to create that damage resistance and that exposure because at the end of the day, we don't want that game day to be the biggest exposure or this big jump in load from what they'll usually do. So we need to make sure that all of our players are hitting specific velocities within the week so it's not this big jump because with what we've started to see with that acute chronic workload work that a lot of Gabbett's um, papers have started to look at, which previous to that was also training stress balance, same concept, that these spikes but also troughs in load is what causes injury. So we really try and iron it out and make sure that throughout the season these these spikes and troughs do not occur. And the best way to do that is during the week because we really don't have any control over the game. The game is whatever happens, happens, and we've got to try and manage the rest of it during the week. And that's also the same with our strength training. So we make sure that our boys aren't just lifting light every week or they're not just lifting heavy every week, that we can start to periodize that both off what we feel they should do but also how the athlete's actually feeling. Because realistically, if you have an athlete that, you know, they may love to lift, but a lot of them sit in that, so especially in season, they sit in that middle range where I know I need to lift, but some days I just don't feel like I, I want to. If I'm continuously dictating they need to lift this, you need to lift heavy, you need to lift this, they'll just tune me out. They'll just shut down and not listen to me. Mm -hmm. But if suddenly they have these thresholds that they can select that I've already programmed it in, but they can select whether they're going hard this week or lighter, and then we account for that, the buy-in is substantially higher. So when it comes to the in-season program, it's a it's a very much an explosive style program. We're keeping that max strength element like I talked about. We're looking to keep that plyometric load because we want them to not have these big spikes in jumping load when it comes to the game. So we need to maintain something throughout the week. But when it comes to the actual loading parameters, we do put a lot of trust in our players and allow them to select within these thresholds that we use so they can have a little bit of ownership of their own program because I can't, you know, I'm not, I never played professional AFL. I've played AFL, but not professional AFL. So I'm not about to go and tell this player, I know how you feel after getting beaten up for two hours and having to run around. So you tell me how you feel, and then we're going to manage it and work together. So, so the philosophy of our in-season program is keeping as much load exposure as possible while making sure that we don't cook our players because it's a long season for us. We you know, will play 22 games over 23 weeks. 
plus finals. So that'll be another another month if we go all the way. So so our boys can play upwards of you know twenty six games uh, if we go to the to the last to the last game. So that's a lot. Which it's definitely not NBA standards. It's definitely not baseball standards. I realize that, but from a football perspective, it's quite a few games. Yeah. No, but that's two hundred sixty miles. Mm. Yeah. You are. Exactly right. Quick math will say in, it's, it's a lot of running loads. In competition, <laughs> not like, yes. oh, 260 miles. It's, <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. It's, it's, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can walk 10 miles a game or you can sprint 10 miles a game. It's up to you how you want to do it. Yeah. But. Well, Lachlan, this is absolutely awesome. And uh, the glimpse into what you guys are doing down there is fantastic. I can't thank you enough for, for the time with us today, man. This, this is killer. Um, I really appreciate you having me on, mate. It's been fantastic. Good to get on in the new year. Yeah, man. Well, thank you very much. And we will be in touch real soon, my friend. Sounds good, Jay. Appreciate it, mate. Have a good one, eh? You too. Brilliant. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Cheers. And a huge thanks to today's guest, Lachlan Wilmot, for spending some time with us today and being so open and honest with everything that he's doing down there. I mean, guys, like, looking at how he breaks things down, I mean, like we talk about in the talk, and I mentioned before, there's so much great information that he already puts out in the videos and such online that you know you know the exercise selection that he uses and you know some of the things that he's more known for when it comes to those exercises but now understanding where these programming ideas are coming from uh, is really fantastic I, I can't thank Lachlan enough for being so candid and open with his sharing to uh, with us today and as always guys if you enjoyed the talk please share it through the social media outlet of your choice Facebook Instagram Twitter whatever it may be make sure you're following us on all of those as well, at CVASPS on Twitter and Instagram. And like us at Central Virginia Sport Performance on Facebook. Uh, and when you guys hit CVASPS.com up, make sure you're signing up for the newsletter to stay up to date with everything as well. We appreciate everything that you guys do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. I can't thank you guys enough for being involved with what we do here. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.